Michael Ray. No. Sign of the Times. Definitely not. The Batman soundtrack. Oh, Star Wars is it? Uh, no. Same coming. I like it. Ah. Sade. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Goat or Go, a comprehensive and slightly opinionated look at Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. I'm your host, Wendy Kay. So today, boy oh boy, we got a doozy of albums that we have to get through today. All very different albums, I have to say. This spot, number 496, this is a very weird group of albums I have to talk about today. Let's just jump into it. The first album that we actually have to talk about today is only on the 2020 list, fun fact, and that is Shakira's Donde Están Los Landros from 1998. Here's what Rolling Stone had to say about this album. Long before she went blonde and took her never-lying hips to the top of the American pop charts, Shakira was a raven-haired guitar rocker who'd hit peak superstardom in the Spanish-speaking world with her 1995 LP, Pais Descalzos. To keep up the momentum, Shakira enlisted Emilio Estefan to help produce her next LP, this stellar, globetrotting dance rock set, which blends sounds from Colombia, Mexico, and her father's native Lebanon. So, the things I know about Shakira herself are her blonde hair, and of course, the song Hips Don't Lie, just like pretty much everybody else. That song was very inescapable when I was younger. She then followed it up with the album She-Wolf, which I particularly really liked, especially the singles off that album. So Shakira's been around in the music scene. I think she's a fine enough artist. Like, I'm not a big follower of hers. The only music I would have heard of hers would have been the singles that would have been played on the radio or, you know, would have been played at school dances. Having said that, I'm very unfamiliar with her work when she was in Colombia. This Shakira blew my fucking mind. This album in particular kind of blew my mind and it made me angry, dear listener. The version of Shakira that I know about is not the one that's presented in this album. And I wish that she was still able to retain a lot of this sort of rock and roll aesthetic and vibe that she had going about her because god damn it, this album's great. Now that I know what her pre-American stuff sounds like and working with Emilio Estefan, also, since Rolling Stone brings this up, I think this is a very important thing to talk about. So Emilio Estefan is the husband of Gloria Estefan, and I don't know about you, but I think it's really disingenuous and really strange for Rolling Stone to not include any of their work, especially of Gloria Estefan, because her career really does lay the groundwork for Latin music in America. I can't imagine a world without Gloria Estefan in it. Like, that woman's work and her and Emilio Estefan's work is so instrumental in pop music, it's so instrumental in Latin music, it's so instrumental in so many different ways that I'm really surprised that, like, they're not represented at all 
in the Rolling Stone list. To not have them represented in this list about rock and roll or this list about music is so weird to me. If anybody wants to talk about the Estefans, that would be great. Um, before I know, we're going to be talking about Shakira. This Shakira is incredible. <laughs> when the song Si Te Va was playing, within maybe 30 seconds, the song was already liked on my Spotify, and I've listened to it over and over. I am obsessed with this song. This song made my jaw drop. If all you've ever heard of Shakira was Hips Don't Lie, Siteva is such a breath of fresh air, and also, just it just makes me so mad that this was the musical evolution of Shakira. Oh, God, dude, we, like, she's, she's so deserving of her own right, and, like, goddamn, she's so good. So all of the music is in Spanish, and while it's nifty for Google Translate to be around and to automatically, like, give me the lyrics in, in their direct English translation, I know it's not the best thing in the world. I have to fill in like, the sentence structure a little bit better with the with what Shakira is singing. Unlike the indestructible beats of Soweto, which don't have lyrics online in any way, I'm thankful that at least Shakira's music got lyrics online and I could look at the translated version of them. Because this, this album is chock full of sadness. <laughs> there feels like there is a lot of longing, I don't know who broke Shakira's heart, but, like, damn dude, you really, you really fucked up. I mean, thank you, Shakira, for sharing your pain and your sadness and and these longing questions that you have about relationships and your place in the world and whatnot, and shared it with us on this album. But all I gotta say is, dude, whoever you are, whoever broke Shakira's heart, dude, you, you fucked up. A lot of the lyrics... I feel like there's a deeper meaning to them, but I'm not quite sure if the English translation will allow me to dive into the lyrics a little bit deeper, because some things just kind of get lost in translation, you know? As much as we try, like, there's something really hard about translating a song from its native language to another language. One really great example of that is... The song in English is called Eyes Like Yours. So what's interesting about this song is that it is the last song on the album. It also doesn't feel like it belongs on this album. And because it is a very different kind of song, you really get the Lebanon influence in this song in particular, more so than in the other songs on the album. And what's interesting about Ohasai is that this song is included in Laundry Service, which is an album that really brought Shakira to superstardom in America. I cannot explain how big Laundry Service was, especially when it comes to the song Whenever, Wherever. There is no way to escape Whenever, Wherever. 
But the thing about eyes like yours is that the English translation and the one that is used on laundry service, the best version is Ohasai. And I feel like while the English translation is very well and like they had to work really hard in order to maintain the structure of that song, whilst Shakira is also singing in English, which is a whole other span of talent that is undeniably amazing. Something about Eyes Like Yours doesn't feel the same as Ohas Ai. I would prefer to have Ohas in laundry service, just because it feels like a very odd way of ending this album. The song before that is Sombra de Ti, which is translated to Shadow of You. And I think that would be a fine enough album ending. It's more of a heartbreaking ending, and more of a sad one. But it feels more in line with the aesthetic that Shakira is kind of going for with this album. The other song that I want to give a shout out to is Donde Están Los Landrons, which is, you know, the title song of the album, and it is translated to Where Are the Thieves? Or at least that's what the English translation gave me. This song is a lot of fun. The beats on top of the instrumentation feel very familiar to other Shakira work. It's a fun song, but it feels very, very short. But like, I'm thankful it exists because Shakira just rocking out and just emoting so much with her voice. Like she, this is a bad comparison, I know, but she and Alanis, Alanis Morissette use their voices in very different ways. But both are emoting so, so much with their voices. Like, you can feel almost every single emotion that they're singing about. And while I don't know what Shakira is mostly singing about, like, you can feel like some, some things hit harder than others. And, like, Donde Son Los Landros is one of those songs where you could feel every one of the emotions that she's singing about. The song Inevitable, that was very French of me, my bad. That's when it clicked that it was the Alanis Morissette kind of comparison, because the way that she sings that song, it feels like a gut punch. It's just, there's something so deep and visceral about her voice, and the way that she's saying that word. It's just like, yeah! Another song that I want to talk about, and this is the one where, like, I feel like I need to sit down with the lyrics and understand it a little bit better is the song is called Octavodia, which is eighth day. So from the translated lyrics, Shakira is talking about God, and in the genius lyrics you can have different users input their own spin and takes on a song. And people can vote on if that's the right take or not, which is fun in some cases. In this case there's not a whole lot of notes about the song, and I feel like the song is, yes, while it's talking about Shakira's relationship with God, there's something else going on here that I want to dive into the lyrics a little bit more and get to understand, because there's something missing here. The song has more to it than meets the translated eye. If it wasn't for Ojos, this album is one of the greatest of all time. Now that I know that what I've been missing out is a great deal more artistry than what I've been currently getting, 
I would definitely check out Shakira's earlier work before Laundry Service, just to kind of see where she got her start and, like, follow her career a little bit better. Because I feel like once you get to Laundry Service, I would take things with a grain of salt, I guess? Because then her vision and ever and a lot about her changes. So, thanks, Shakira, for your early career and for what you stand for and everything. But God damn it, what? Wow, what did we as an American audience really miss out on? So, as you all know, this podcast isn't just about one album; it's about two other albums. We have Boss Gags. And his album Boz Gags from 1969. This album in particular is only on the 2012 list. I'm gonna be completely upfront and honest with you guys. I kind of don't understand why this album is on this list. I'm gonna give you why they put it on this list. The stone solid grooves of this underrated gem came courtesy of the Muscle Shoals rhythm section. The soulful guitar comes courtesy of Skaggs and guest Dwayne Allman. Together, they made Loan Me a Dime, an FM radio classic, more than 10 minutes of knockout blues, pedaling and wailing. Okay, so Loan Me a Dime is about 13 minutes long, and it's the second to last track on the album. The more important thing about Loan Me a Dime is not Boz Gags singing. It's everybody else who's doing the grunt work of the song. It's kind of a jazzy kind of number in that you're not quite sure what direction they're going with, but everybody's kind of listening to each other and playing off of each other and making room for those to have sort of like a solo when it comes to their music, especially when it comes to like the organ music and the guitar. Those are the predominant features of the song. And the lyrics for Loan Me a Dime are not as interesting as the rest of the song itself. That's how I was feeling about most of the songs on this album. The lyrics themselves are fine, they're serviceable, but they're not really adding all that much to the more interesting instrumentation. Like, the song's sweet release, which is the last song off of this album, sounds more familiar like a folk song, and one that I would say maybe Dylan-esque. It doesn't know what direction it wants to go with. It's not sure if it wants to be more like invoking a certain kind of emotion. It also just feels like a really long song. Having just listened to Loan Me a Dime, maybe hearing Sweet Release, I was longing for the Sweet Release from this album because it just dragged for so long. I also want to point out to one other song that I think I would love to hear more opinions about, and that is Look What I've Got. Look What I've Got is a very strange song. The singer is talking about a woman who walked out on his life, and he's found another. And I guess the first woman has come back into the picture in some way. I'm not quite sure if... The singer is literally talking about the relationship that he has to this new woman, or he's talking about himself to the first woman in look what I've got now. Like, look, like, look at how happy I am. Look at all these positive things that I have 
now gotten now that you've been out of this picture. Because he talks about his significant other as a little girl. Yeah, it's really weird calling your new significant other a little girl. It's not really making your case for having moved on from the first person who you think treated you kind of terribly and maybe immaturely like a little girl. I guess it reminds me of Someone Like You by Adele, which I know is way later. But maybe I think Adele kind of finds a better balance when talking about a relationship that she has now re-entered the picture of and sees that they have moved on from her and so she'll be off to find someone else. Maybe it's just like the narrative perspective is weirder. This is a good song, I guess, to listen to back to back with someone like you because the perspective is very interesting. You know, maybe Boss Gags's narrative is the one that Adele is seeing, you know, look what I've got and now I'll have to go and find someone like you. Actually, that'd be a really fun mashup or cover. Maybe I've saved this album, but otherwise, if this album wants to be blues-inspired, it's blues-inspired, but, like, as I have previously covered it on this podcast, if you want to listen to blues artists, like, there are better blues artists. Maybe I would take ZZ Top over Boss Gags. I definitely would put Albert King and BB King over Boss Gags as a listening experience, so thanks for showing up Boss Gags, but not really my cup of tea. So finally, we have a monolith of an album. We have a we have a monster of a being. And that one is Destroyer by Kiss from 1976. This album is also number 498 in 2012, so I will have to be revisiting this guy at some point in the future. Um, Kiss is also included in the list on the album Alive! There's an exclamation point, so that's why I have to go Alive! It's number 305 in 2020, and it's also number 159 in 2012 and 2003. So here's what Rolling Stone had to say about Destroyer. By their fifth album, Kiss were the most popular band in America, with sold-out stadium tours and eventually their own pinball machine, makeup line, and a TV movie. Built around the proto-power ballad Beth, this is a ridiculously over-the-top party rock album that just gets better with age. This album, similar to White Blood Cells by the White Stripes, is rock with a hard, hard R. It is inescapable how rock and roll this is. The album has probably one of the best starting tracks on it, which is Detroit Rock City. For almost two minutes, you don't hear any music, and I think you're meant to believe, like, you as the listener are in a stadium or at a concert, and it's just about to start because you're with other people in the crowd, and then it starts. And boy, oh boy, are you in for one wild fucking ride of an album. I have never listened to Kiss. Actually, I take that back. I have never listened to Kiss voluntarily. I'm sure there are Kiss songs that have made it into the mainstream and have made it onto that classic rock station that everyone knows. You know, the one that you can always flip to on your car radio. It's there. Kiss will be there at some point. Just give it some time between Poison and Leonard Skinner 
and all these other bands that, you know, we have counted as classic rock. I didn't know what Kiss's sound was going to be like. All I know is that they're guys who wear a bunch of very interesting, very heavy-looking costumes and have very interesting makeup on. And so for the longest time, a lot of people didn't know who any of the band members were because there was no internet, so there weren't a lot of pictures circulating of, like, these guys out of makeup. Which is brilliant if you wanted to keep your identity kind of secret for a while, which is why Daft Punk really works well. You know, we don't have this attachment to, like, a person's personal life so much. You just know these as the Kiss guys. Although Gene Simmons would beg to disagree. The only other reason that I know about Kiss is they did a movie with Scooby-Doo. And it is a bizarre, bizarre movie. If you want a recap and a reaction to the Kiss Scooby-Doo crossover movie, there's this great YouTuber called Jello Apocalypse who talks about this movie and also every other Scooby-Doo movie in 10 words or less. Let me tell you, it's bananas. But I appreciate it for what it is. But, <laughs> so Kiss. I don't know how, like, metal or uh, rock with a hard R these guys were, but um, these guys rock. Looking at their costumes and their makeup now, I can see it as maybe campy. It also kind of makes me wonder how they became really popular, because the theatrics of it all are so interesting. Like, they're a very unusual rock band. Like, I can't imagine, if you'd stripped away, like, the makeup and the costumes and the presentation of them as, like, demons from hell, or at least that's what I got from them, they would just be any other kind of rock band from, from the 70s and 80s. But, like, you need those performances. You need that persona of demonic energy with you. And I think it works really well in the favor of Kiss. I can imagine their concerts having very interesting, like, mood lighting, being bred at times, talking about going to hell, and being demons, and, like, constantly having their tongues out of their mouths and just going, eh. You know, looking so fucking bizarre that if you weren't there, you probably wouldn't vibe with it. But I bet if you were at a Kiss concert, you're just like, dude, these guys are going to steal my soul and I'm okay with that. Especially in the song, like, King of the Nighttime World and God of Thunder and Great Expectations. Those are great songs to have at a concert. They're just like so much masculine energy with these guys. I imagine their concerts being creepy but in a fun way, like a haunted house. The song Great Expectations has a choir in it, which I think just really kind of amplifies and just keeps bringing in more drama to the scene than uh, they already didn't need. But you know what? I'm thankful that they're there, you know? It's a fun time. I didn't know what Gene Simmons' voice sounded like. I also didn't know that Kiss had another lead singer, and his name is Paul Stanley. And... I think I prefer Paul Stanley singing. He's also the main singer, mostly for the album Destroyer. But for Gene Simmons, I think his demonic persona and the way he's able to vocalize that demonic persona is much more better and, and more suited to like the creepier moments of the Kiss record. So Rolling Stone touches on this, and I want to talk about this for a minute. The song Beth 
sucks. The song Beth is about some guy. I don't know who it is. I'll, I'll say it's Paul Stanley. This song is singing to a woman named Beth and talking about how, like, how lonely this woman is and, like, he'll be home soon. But right now he's been with the boys trying to write a song or do something and he can't come home right now. And he knows how lonely she is, but Beth, don't worry. I'll be back home and whatnot. Let me tell you, going from this over-the-top, dramatic, demonic, I'm gonna drag you to hell and you're gonna like it, to this more personal, sappy, boring relationship, doesn't really work in this album. And we never get back to where the beginning of this album started. Like, we have the song Do You Love Me, which reminds me of Aerosmith, and that's not great, guys. Yes, it's talking about, like, asking this woman, you know, you have this very sophisticated, rich life full of these things, and I know that we've been together while I've been giving you all these things, but do you, do you love me? Like, do do you really love me? Like, oh my god. I don't care about these relationships. I don't care about if you think a woman loves you because of your money, my guy. She probably does. She probably loves you because of your money. Or, you know, she really deep down does love you, but that's not a conversation to be having. When you have so much of this energy, like, I don't care. I don't care. Just go back to- You got something about you. You got something I need. Daughter of Aphrodite, hear my words and take heed. I was born on Olympus to my father, a son. I was raised by the demons, trained to reign as the one. Like, that's way more cooler than, do you love me? Like, do you love me just because of my money? Or do you, like, love me, love me? Check yes or no. (laughs) And then the album ends... Sounding like everybody walking out and the concert is over after Do You Love Me. If Kiss stayed with their original goal and with the first part of the album up until Beth, I feel like we would have a very solid rock metal album. I keep saying metal, but I'm not really sure if they're a metal band. Either way, they're a rock band. But as it stands, Destroyer is it's fine. It's it's whatever. Um, I could take it or leave it. So... But I will say, like, as my first introduction to KISS, I guess I have something to look forward to when we get to ALIVE! But, as you know, dear listener, we have to pick one album and one album only to continue on into this list and what I would consider the greatest album of all time. And the album that will be moving forward and the one that I want to say is the greatest album of all time is Shakira's Donde Están Los Landros. Now, in comparison to my own personal list of things, I would say that this album is below touch and above the indestructible butts of Soweto. So if you're keeping score and you're keeping track of this list at home, like I'm not, (laughs) have fun with that information. So thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed what you listened to, follow me on social media and DJ, let's 
Drop, let's drop that track. Goat or Go is a podcast created and hosted by me, Wendy Kay. I also edit the podcast. Original artwork is by Paige A. Special thanks to the entire Rolling Stone magazine writing team. Without you, there wouldn't be this podcast. Follow the podcast on social media, Goat or Go Pod. If you want to support the show on Patreon, link is in the show notes. Thank you so much, music lovers. Keep on listening, and I'll see you next week.